Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Let's go to our foundational scripture that is found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verse 34. Just to give you a little bit of a background concerning the principles that we've learned during our lesson last Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. We read one verse and I'm reading from the New King James Version. I'd like you to open up your own Bibles and read the verse of Scripture together with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. I'll wait a few uh, moments until you all find it. Okay. Let's read it together. Awake to righteousness. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says to them, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And in this verse of Scripture, Paul reveals to us a very important and a powerful principle, and it is this. He says that spiritual awakenings bring about righteous and holy living. But a lack of knowledge leads to a life of sin and shame. So that's the principle that we've learned. When the soul of a person is awakened by the Spirit of God, that spiritual awakening brings about righteous and holy living. But if a person continues to live in darkness, which is actually a lack of the knowledge of God, that person will ultimately be led into a life of sin and disobedience, which of course leads to a life of shame. I'm not going to go over the whole lesson that we have taught last week, but I'm going to pick up where we ended our lesson. And today we're also going to speak about that spiritual awakening not only leads to a life of holiness and righteousness, but a spiritual awakening also brings about strength and fortitude. In other words, when a person is enlightened with the knowledge of God, and the revelation of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what he has done on the cross of Calvary for us, that soul or that person becomes spiritually strong through the knowledge of God. And if you are um, familiar what we've talked about and you've studied to any length, the lessons that I have been focusing and concentrating on for several weeks 
is that the knowledge of God increases strength. And when we speak about this kind of strength, we're not talking about physical strength. We're not talking about mental strength or intellectual strength, but primarily we are speaking about spiritual strength, the strength that resides deep down within our spirits. The Word of God says in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Did you hear that? The people who know their God, this kind of knowledge we are speaking about, it's experiential and intimate knowledge of God. The people who know their God intimately, experientially, shall be strong, and they shall carry out great exploits. So spiritual strength and mental fortitude is what is needed in times of crisis and adversity. Both of these are found in the knowledge of God and the way the Lord governs his kingdom. When you walk with the Lord in the spirit and enjoy a personal, intimate relationship with him, you can remain calm and unafraid in the worst possible conditions. No matter what goes on on the outside, no matter what the crisis is, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the adversity is that you are facing, the knowledge of God that you have will keep your heart in peace, in calmness, and unafraid in such situations. The knowledge you possess keeps the mind and the heart unshakable in the most trying times. One of my favorite verses is found in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 27. Here the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So this is the kind of peace that the Lord Jesus gives to his own people through the knowledge we possess. My peace I leave with you, he says. Not the kind of peace that the world offers, but the one that I will give to you. As we all know, the entire world is being shaken at the core right now. Nations are being shaken. Institutions are being shaken. And um, for the church, the church is being shaken. But for the church, I believe, this is a season of great awakening. Many are drawing near to God. Probably people who just prayed once in a while or read the Bibles once in a while. Now they are drawing near to God. In literally forced on their knees and they are learning to exercise their faith more and more in God's exceeding and great promises in such times of adversity.
and we are glad and rejoice because of it. Now, there is a vast difference between knowing about God and knowing God himself. Most believers know a lot about God, but very few truly intimately know him or share intimacy with him. And I want to talk about this experiential knowledge and how does it come? Well, the kind of knowledge, this, this intimate revelation experiential knowledge that we are talking about today comes only from obedience to the words of Jesus. And I will share uh, the, the, the verses that Jesus gave us this revelation. Notice what Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 21 and 23. And I want you to see that from your own Bibles. Turn to your Bibles or your devices to John's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 21 and verse 23. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 21 and 23. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Very important verses of Scripture. What Jesus is saying here to us, the kind of knowledge that will enable us to prevail in the midst of a major crisis like the one we are facing is the knowledge that comes from obedience to the Lord Jesus' teachings. He said that the Lord himself with the Father will reveal himself to those who obey and keep his word. And not only that, he will make his home with the Father within the obedient disciples. Can you just imagine, please, for a moment, our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus himself, making themselves at home with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine that for a moment, please. If God is with us and for us, who can be against us? Can there really be a greater blessing than this? Having the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit, making his residence and his home within the obedient disciple. There is no greater blessing than that. And that is what we should all strive for, to be obedient, to keep the word of the Lord from day to day so that he can make his abode and his home within our very, within our very heart, within our very spirit. 
As I have stated before, and I'm going to say it again over and over, such manifestation of the Father and the Son in the Spirit does not come by any other means except by the obedience to his commandments. It does not come by mere hearing of the word of God. It does not even come by studying the word of God. It doesn't even come by praying, but only by keeping his word. All those things are good. The prayer, the study of the word, the hearing of the word, they all good, but they are means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. Why do I study the word of God? I'm studying so that I can learn the will of God so that I can put it into practice in my life. Why do we pray? We pray that we can get intimately connected to the Father and get to know him better from day to day. So all of those things, the praying, the studying, the fasting in the Lord, all of those things are a means to an end. The end goal is obedience to the will of God. And we need to understand that. They are good. They are beneficial. But if we stop short from obeying the word of God, they profit us nothing. And I want to say this. From my own experiences from in the ministry for over 35, 36 years now, being in full-time ministry, and, and dealing with people and doing the work of the pastor or the shepherd, I have noticed that there are many in our churches today who love to hear the Word of God, and many others who love to study it, even preach it. But they stumble when it comes to practicing it, especially when they see no gain in it or no profit. In other words, they obey when it's convenient. They obey when it suits them. They obey when it's comfortable. But the moment the word is asking us to obey when it costs, then many shrink back from obedience. That shouldn't be the case, but that is reality. And we need to, if you are one of those people who even loves to hear the word of God and doesn't practice it, you need to have a change of mind, what the, call, or what the, what the word calls repentance. Now, James had something to say uh, to those who stumble at obeying the word of God, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, it's evident we don't need the devil to deceive us. We deceive ourselves when we are only hearers of the word and not doers of the word of God. When we know the scripture, when we know the word of God and what it says and refuse to obey it, then deception begins to enter our hearts, whether we like it or not, making us believe a lie about ourselves. And that's what deception is. Deception is believing a lie, believing something that isn't true or the truth. And this happened with the church in Laodicea. If you are a student of the Bible, you know what the Lord said to the church in Laodicea. 
They believed they were doing well when in reality they were in danger of being spewed out of the Lord's mouth. Listen to what they said among themselves and how the Lord responded to them. We find that in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. They, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they were doing well. They thought because they have become wealthy, they have gained access to material wealth. They confused that for the blessing of God. And they said, we have no needs we are satisfied, we are content, we are doing well. But Jesus had this to say to them. You don't know that you're wretched. He was speaking about the spiritual state of the church. You are miserable, you are poor, you're blind and naked. Obviously, the church fell into deception because they did not walk in obedience to the Lord's commandments. Now, the same thing can easily happen to the best of us. We are not immune to deception. If we hear the word and know what the word says and yet refuse to put it into practice, we will definitely deceive ourselves. We don't need the devil to do it. We do that all on our own. God spoke in the old covenant through the prophet Ezekiel about such people who loved to hear the word, but they did not obey it. Listen to what the Lord spoke through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 28, verse 30 and 32. I think I will read from verse 30 onwards. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 33. I want to give you a bit of time to find that in your own Bible. Please open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33. And this is what the Lord said through the prophet. So they come to you as people do. He was speaking to Ezekiel. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with the mouth they show much love, but the hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Notice what the Lord revealed to Ezekiel. He said that with their mouth they show much love, but the hearts pursue their own gain or their own agenda. In other words, their hearts were in the wrong place. Their affection, their love, their focus was elsewhere. I recall Jesus said the same words to some of the Pharisees when he said, these people honor me with the lips, but the hearts are far from me. And this is what happened to these folks as well. When you hear the word and you do not practice it, 
then your heart begins to depart from God and your affection grows cold and you become indifferent toward the things of God. It's one thing to say that we love God and delight in hearing his words, but it's another thing to invest our entire lives in his kingdom and submit to his lordship. I have personally witnessed firsthand what Ezekiel spoke about. And I say that with sadness in my heart. I do not lie. I have witnessed the devastation of people who outwardly professed faith, delighted in hearing the word of God, but their hearts were wrapped around their own agenda and their own gain. Their hearts were not in it. They pursued other things rather than pursuing the knowledge of God and the and 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 the will of God. They did not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as Jesus taught us in Matthew 6:33. They loved to hear the word but most did not obey what was preached. And I have watched and witnessed their lives experience devastation, pain, great sorrow, and ultimately premature death. They were deceived. Jesus himself spoke about such folk in Matthew's gospel. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24 through to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus said there are only two classes of people in this world. Not anymore. The one class is the wise who build on the rock. In other words, who build their lives on hearing the teachings of Jesus and obeying them. And the other class of people is the camp of the foolish who hear the words, but they do not do them. Therefore, they build on sand. So when the floods, the rain, the wind, when the crisis of life hit that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, these very words that fell from the master's lips ought to truly awaken us up in the holy fear of God and not think that we are immune from deception. The word of God says, let him who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. Many are so terrified nowadays 
from a virus that can destroy the physical body. But have no fear whatsoever of the one who could destroy both body and soul. Isn't that frightening? Jesus said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more what they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. Church, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is our time to awaken, awaken from our spiritual slumber and begin to put on strength, the kind of strength and fortitude that comes from intimately knowing God and obeying his commandments, the knowledge that comes only through obedience to his words. I will, I will show you or I will tell you what I did many years ago as I was learning the word, as I was growing in discipleship. What I did to help me was starting to look at various areas of my life and examine them and find out what the word of God has to say about it. So I took a piece of paper and I wrote, and I wrote on that piece of paper, I am a husband to my wife. What does the word of God say about husbands? So I searched to find scriptures that were referring to how the husbands ought to behave toward the wives. I found scriptures like 1 Peter chapter 3 that says, And you husbands live with your wives according to knowledge as the weaker vessel. Treat them with respect and understanding. I found scriptures that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And I spent days and weeks meditating in order to grasp the deeper meaning of what the Lord was speaking to husbands, to me, because I was a husband. And then I searched the scriptures about, because I was a father, I wrote there, I'm a father to my children. What does the word of God say about fathers? And I searched the New Testament. I, I, I found a book by Andrew Murray that's, that, that taught me, as I read that book, how to raise godly children or how to raise children for God. That blessed me tremendously. I found scriptures like, fathers do not provoke your children. But, um, uh, but teach them and nurture them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I found scriptures that talk about disciplining your children. I found a book by the grace of God that said, Dare to Discipline. That helped me tremendously in my attitude and how I should behave toward my children. And then further down on the list, I wrote, I am an owner of a business. So I'm a businessman. What does the Bible say about those who have employees? Well, in those days, they had servants. So how should I behave toward my employees? And I discovered that I ought to give them a fair wage 
not to mistreat them, to be kind to them, because I also have the Lord. And, and, and thoroughly search the scriptures that applied to me as a disciple. Then I wrote, they, I am a member of the local church. What are my responsibilities as a, as a member of this local church? I discovered the principle of giving, tithing, offerings. And the moment I discovered that from the first week, I never missed a tithe to this day or missed an offering. I practiced the word of God concerning finances, concerning honoring the Lord with my substance. And I went down through the line and, and, and I was found, I'm a member of the Greek community. What are my responsibilities? What does God want me to do in relation to the community that I live in? And I discovered that I owed love to them. The Bible says, oh, no man, anything but to love them. So how could I express that love toward my country fellow men? And the first place that I found the Lord wanted me to express that love was through prayer and intercession. So I began to pray for my community, my Greek country fellow men, the friends, the people that I associated with from day to day. I prayed for them. I fasted for them. And ultimately, I opened my house and invited them in order to hear the preaching of the gospel. And so you do the same. You take a piece of paper and start, uh, say, who am I? And this is who I am. Are you a single person? What does the Bible say about single people? Are you married? What does the Bible say about marriage? Are you a father? What does the Bible say about father? Are you an employee? What does the word say about employees? And practice the word, search the scriptures, study the word. And when you know what the word says, by the grace of God, put it into practice. And so that's what I did. And to be honest, it helped me a great deal by going through those areas of my life and putting into practice what the word teaches, what Jesus teaches. And it's time, I believe, for the church to ask the Holy Spirit to show us areas of our lives which are still in disobedience, areas that we are afraid or hesitant to obey the Word of God, areas in which through disobedience we were led to deception. And when the light of God's Holy Spirit shines upon us, because the word says, in your light, we shall see light. You cannot see unless God turns his light on you. And when we take time to wait in the presence of God, not just quality time, but quantity time, the spirit of God will highlight areas of your life that he wants you to move in through steps of obedience and through steps of faith. But when he shows you areas where you've been reluctant to obey, then you need to immediately repent, ask the Lord to forgive you, and ask him to give you grace to turn from the path of disobedience. Isaiah spoke of such a time as this, I believe, when a great awakening will come to the church. 
And let me say this. I believe that prayer brings the soul into a place of awakening. When you begin to seek God and search for him with all of your heart, and you really mean business, the grace of God and the Spirit of God is poured out upon you in answer to your earnest seeking, and then there comes an awakening. And I believe Isaiah spoke of such a time of awakening, and he gave us some of the most wonderful results of the soul or the spirit or the people that have been awakened by the Spirit of God. And I want to read these verses of Scripture to you, and I want you to look at them from your own Bible. They found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is what the word says. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down. O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Now let's look at these verses. In the beginning, Isaiah says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. The first is result or attribute of an awakened spirit and soul is strength and spiritual and mental fortitude. When you are awakened, you are clothed with strength and fortitude. People who are awakened by the spirit, they are people of faith. They are people of courage in the face of adversity. In fact, they laugh at adversity. They're not cowering in, but they are bold as a lion and they laugh at the crisis of life because they have been endured, endured with strength from on high and mental fortitude. The next thing the word says, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Awakened people are clothed with an inward beauty of holiness. They put on beautiful garments of holiness. And they also reflect the character of Christ. Awakened people are loving. They are merciful. They are gracious. They are forgiving. They are compassionate. These are the traits or the characteristics of an awakened person who has, been, uh, who has been awakened by the grace, the spirit, the outpouring of God's spirit upon his soul. And then he goes on to say, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. 
What does that tell us? It tells us that unbelieving people will not find pleasant your company pleasant. In other words, awakened souls no longer reflect a lifestyle of compromise, worldliness, or unclean unclean living. In other words, the sinner will not be comfortable in your presence. They will be severely convicted. They will either turn to Christ or they will depart from you. In other words, is what Paul said to the Corinthians, have no fellowship with the work of darkness. In other words, these, these souls that have been awakened by the Spirit of God They are not unequally yoked with unbelievers, nor do they have any fellowship with the works of darkness. They are separated. They are dedicated to God and to the service of his kingdom. And then he goes on to say, shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. See, dust in the Bible symbolizes destruction. Awakened souls have shaken themselves loose from destruction and have risen to a place of spiritual rest and deliverance. Spiritual rest and deliverance. They are loosed. In other words, they have loosed themselves through the prayer, through the seeking of God, through the obedience to the word of God. They've loosed themselves from the captivity and the bondage of sin and shame. And they have found the place of resting in the Lord. These are the results or the benefits, if you could call it this way, of an awakened soul that has been um, that has have been awakened out of sleep, out of spiritual sleep. And I believe we are in this season, these days, of a great and mighty awakening of the church, where the church will rise from the dust, will rise from the caves and hidings. And according to Isaiah chapter 60, it was prophesied many hundreds of years ago. Isaiah says, or the prophet, or God through the prophet said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness will cover the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory shall be seen in the church. And in fact, Isaiah prophesied that nations will come to the brightness of the church's glory. And Haggai says, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former. These are exciting, exciting days. They tough on our flesh, but it's good for our spirits. And so I wanted to share this message with you and conclude part two of a righteous awakening. I trust that this this word has been an encouragement and a blessing to you, and you will take heed to the word of God.
you will search your heart diligently and you will ask the Lord to guide you, to show you, to turn his light upon you, show you areas in which he wants you to move in through steps of faith and obedience. Uh, the psalmist, or rather David, prayed a wonderful, powerful prayer, heartfelt prayer in Psalm 139 when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any way, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me, he said, in the way everlasting. And so, folks, I want to leave you with these words. I want to close in prayer. Then I have a couple of announcements that I want to make. And if you have any prayer requests or comments, you are welcome to do so after that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that we are living in exciting days for the church. We thank you and we praise you that you are bringing about one of the greatest awakenings that the world has ever seen. Not only the church, dear Lord Jesus, but I believe also you are bringing an awakening to the entire world to recognize the need, my Heavenly Father, the need, the need for the Savior. And so thank you for your grace and thank you for the gift of repentance that you are pouring out upon the world at this time. And I give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.